You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. Um, over the past couple of weeks, we've had so many inquiries about vaccines that we haven't been able to answer. And so we thought it would be opportune for us to finally bring you a masterclass on vaccines. If we look at the picture, the South African uh, rollout plan, lately there have been some concerns about the private sector's ability to vaccinate people. And this is because vaccination sites have been increased from 87 to 122. And yet we're not seeing this make a major impact on the daily numbers. And these were concerns that were raised by the South African, um, uh, by uh, SAMA, yes, South African uh, uh, Medical Association, which said that daily numbers remained just under 40,000 per day, even with the addition of new sites. So the first week of the nationwide phase two vaccination campaign saw about 100,000 people receive uh, their first dose of the Pfizer vaccine at different sites. Um, So uh, all in all, about 177 vaccination sites. So Sama has said that despite the, the, the teething problems that have been experienced, including things like violent service delivery protests, remember Bloemfontein, Mangawung was just a no-go last, uh, for a couple of days last week. Uh, there was load shedding as well. So some of those interruptions have prevented some vaccination sites from operating fully in the first week. But um, the rollout, rollout is happening um, and in many cases quite smoothly. My mom got vaccinated. It was such a relief. So my hope is that um, older persons, people over 60, uh, as we know, they are vulnerable, that you will get your vaccination sooner rather than later. I must say it does take a bit of a load off. Not that you change behavior, but there's some kind of uh, reassurance at the back of your mind. And the hope is that officials will reach 5 million senior citizens by the end of next month. So we need to up these numbers. And so other private role players, for instance, like Diskim in a statement on Sunday, they said that they plan to open five sites in Gauteng um, and this week and then another five sites uh, a week later in coastal cities. So the plans are rolling out. They're rolling out. We need to keep pressure and we also need to stay optimistic. But the question as well is... What is a vac- what, what goes into a vaccine? So many of you have asked, whether we're speaking to the naked scientist or whether we're getting an update on COVID-19, we always get that question about what is in the vaccine? What's in the vaccine? Though, you know, many of us have been vaccinated and we're perfectly fine, but for some reason with COVID-19, people are more concerned than uh, previously. So we thought this is a sort of masterclass topic that um, we can facilitate. So this afternoon, we've got Associate Professor Marta Nunes, who's a Senior Program Manager at Vitz's VIDA, that's Vaccine and Infectious Diseases Unit. And she joins us um, on a call as we look at vaccines. What exactly are they? So, and what goes in them? What goes in them? What questions do you have? 011-883-0702-31702 for your SMSs. This was all to help answer your questions. Good afternoon, uh, Professor Nunes. Lovely to have you on the show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me, Azania. And it's a pleasure to be here and talk about this hot topic at the moment. (laughs) It is quite a hot topic. It's like (laughs) suddenly we have this curiosity about what's happening in the labs and what scientists have been doing in these labs in light of this pandemic. Uh, But it can only serve to um, educate us and help us be more knowledgeable. So thank you for your time. Um, What what do you do at VIDA, the Vaccine and Infectious Disease uh, Unit there at VITS? 
Um, well, so we do a lot of things, and uh, as the name of our unit already points out, so we do research on vaccines and infectious disease as, as a whole. So we do look at uh, several uh, infectious diseases. So we are part of uh, Wits University. So we we do kind of a lot of the uh, basic, more basic research projects from the students that uh, are from Wits. And then we also do a lot of the uh, studies in the community. So we are based at Crisani Baraguana Hospital in Soweto. So we do a lot of uh, studies in the community in Soweto and a lot of uh, studies also here in the hospital. We collaborate a lot with the different departments mm-hmm. in, the, in the hospital. And then I think more talking to the topic of today, we do some clinical trials and we are actively involved in the uh, research on on vaccines. Yes, we'll get to the clinical trials because that's obviously at a later stage in the process of developing a vaccine. But when there's a need to develop a vaccine, what is the starting point? Where do you begin? (laughs) So, you know, vaccines is different products. So even though we call it uh, vaccines, but we need to to bear in mind that there are different types of vaccines. There Mm -hmm. are uh, different pathogens that are targeted for the vaccine. Sorry, when I mean pathogens, bacteria, viruses that um, uh, that the vaccines are targeted uh, for. But just as a, a general goal, uh, a vaccine really tries to to train our immune system. You know, we 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 get vaccinated, so our immune system gets exposed to part of the virus or part of the bacteria that then later on, if uh, if we do get infected by the real virus or the real bacteria, we are already prepared to fight uh, uh, that infection. So kind of, yeah, I, I like to see them vaccines as a, a training ground, you know, they, uh, they come into our body, induce certain immunity and then some immune memory that then can be recalled when we have um, a, a real a real infection mm-hmm. um, so but how do we how do we start uh, uh, developing a vaccine so so we hear a lot of, of course about the different uh, pharmaceutical companies that develop vaccines but actually most of the of the vaccine development starts in laboratories in academic laboratories sometimes like uh, uh, like our uh, like our unit so uh, most of them of the ideas start uh, in research uh, laboratories mm-hmm. and um, and we really try to understand first what are the the pathogens that cause the disease. So first we need to identify like, uh, for example, giving the example of COVID. Now we know that the is SARS-CoV-2, the, um, the agent that causes the disease. So first we need to identify the agent that causes uh, the disease. And then once that is done, now with more sophisticated research, you know, we can look at, at the genome of, so at the, um, at the genetic material that that pathogen have, and we can look for targets that will be suitable for a vaccine. And um, normally the best targets for the vaccine are uh, proteins or um, so are, uh, proteins or polysaccharides that uh, uh, these pathogens express at their surface. So meaning when they enter our body, our body will see these, uh, these proteins first. 
Um, so normally we, we try to identify what will be the best targets for our immune system to, to see and to develop an immune response to that. In the early days of this particular pandemic, um, you know, when it was first being identified, when people were falling ill in China and so on, um, and the World Health Organization, I guess the globe, uh, just uh, uh, generally speaking, was becoming more concerned. uh, There was also news that um, the German researchers have the uh, uh, have the virus and are starting to understand or to study it in order to understand its genome so that work that work of isolating of um, finding or, or rather of isolating the pathogen in order to to, to study it uh, that must be fascinating as well to grow it uh, and then probably a lot of risks that come with it yeah so th- that is really a fascinating um area of uh, uh, of research at uh, at the moment uh, and as i mean you say it's is dangerous so, but normally most of the laboratories where this type of research is done we have you know special safety measures so for example just to give you an example in, in our laboratory here at our unit we do not grow live viruses so you need to have special rooms special uh, measures where uh, live viruses can can be grown and can be propagated in cells so you have i'm sure you know you have different biosafety levels uh, in laboratories and those type of uh, experiments propagating the virus needs to be done in the highest uh, biosafety uh, level but like you say it's yeah it's very exciting when when you are really going in that discovery that you have the pathogen and then <laughs> what will be really the best target to to fight this pathogen it's uh, and and you know a lot of people spend years and years trying to develop a product trying to to work in these type of problems and they never come up with a with a suitable product with the, so for for SARS-CoV-2 for uh, was was interesting that we were able to get a vaccine so quickly, but yeah, this can take years and years. And most of the people that works in this type of research, they will finish their career without probably even having, you know, um, um, a, a licensed uh, product. So there is a lot of basic research uh, that uh, that does happen in the background. Yes, yes, and I think that's what people need to understand, right? That it may it, it, it's a what we're calling a quick process is building on knowledge that had been there before. Mm. Mm. Yes. So, so with COVID, it was really um, a tremendous. Uh, I, I like to call it a, a collaboration effort. Yeah. You know, like you say, the virus was detected in China and then in Europe. People were sequencing the virus and uh, has been really even around the world, around the world, the, the knowledge that has been shared, um, the technology that has been um, put forward for, for different collaborations is really, it's really amazing. Normally, when we do research, you know, if it's not, uh, if there is no no rush in getting those results, you know, normally we keep the results. We try to make a beautiful story, and then only when we have uh, <laughs> all the data, we we put it forward. And you know, sometimes you you don't share it; you only share it at the end of your project. With um, with this pandemic was was amazing to see that uh, a lot of the research was shared in public access platforms that. Um, 
yeah, uh, around the world, people is collaborating to first to find um, uh, the vaccine, but also to share data on all type of information related to the pandemic. Yeah, right. Uh, and so the vaccines that we have at the moment, they they, they are, uh, last I checked, and um, please correct me, that there are three main types of COVID-19 vaccines that have been authorized mm-hmm. and recommended, right? So uh, mm-hmm. when we say types, what do we mean? And how are they similar perhaps to um, vaccines that have been developed previously? If we say that there was a blueprint for polio, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. This is similar to one of the vaccines now. So can you draw uh, or, or maybe give us a kind of spider map of uh, the, the types, these three types and how they link to some of the other known vaccines out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so let me just first probably explain the different type of vaccines. Let's call it the 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 more typical vaccines that uh, that we are used to especially for childhood uh, vaccination so so we have kind of let's say uh, probably three uh, different uh, types big uh, uh, types of of vaccine one is them you know when we use the pathogen that is that has been weakened so we call it attenuated vaccines and uh, these are that the bacteria or the are still there, but they have been attenuated either by uh, high temperature or by a, chemi- a chemical process. And um, and these vaccines are normally quite good. They induce a, a good immune response because you have the whole uh, pathogen um, there. And for example, examples of the uh, of the attenuated vaccines are the MMR, the measles, mumps, and uh, rubella, some of the influenza vaccines, and then um, the chicken pox. So, um, for, uh, for COVID, none of them, of the licensed vaccines is, uh, this type of live attenuated. Um, then another another group of of vaccines are the inactivated uh, viral vaccines that these are most of the influenza vaccines are are like that uh, also hepatitis and uh, and polio and this again is the the the, the virus that has been also uh, inactivated. So, and these vaccines, the, the component of these vaccines cannot cause the disease because the, um, the component has been uh, uh, inactivated. Um, and uh, then we have other, other uh, vaccines that uh, use just parts of, um, uh, of the, of the virus. And so one of them, of the COVID vaccines that is in development was that, that we have a protein that we know is immunogenic. It will cause a, a, a immune response. And so we can, we just produce that small part of, uh, of the virus and we put it in the vaccine. Uh, and uh, this vaccine again, it will cannot cause the the disease because the the full pathogen is not uh, is not there. And there are a few current uh, vaccines uh, in development for these. Mm-hmm. And then for COVID, what was the beauty of the of the COVID vaccines is that they used some new technology that had not right. been used before for more conventional. Vaccines, as I mean, those are actually the ones that uh, have been licensed already. And I think you and the public have heard about the mRNA vaccines. So that is them, 
the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine that uh, have been licensed for COVID. And uh, so this type of technology, mRNA, has not been used before for any other vaccine. So uh, has, has been in development for a long time. So like wow. I said, the researchers have been trying, you know, to produce vaccines using this technology. But uh, now with COVID, they were really successful and um, using these uh, RNA vaccines. So, and just very, very briefly, what is the RNA vaccine? So, RNA is then the genetic material of the of the virus of COVID in this case, and uh, um, and we know that there are different genes that, that code different proteins, and so for for COVID. Um, it has been shown that one of the proteins at the surface of the virus that is called the spike protein, mm. you know, it's uh, it's visible to our immune system. So if you get infected with the virus, our immune system responds against that um, that protein, that spike protein. So this was a very attractive uh, target for a vaccine. So what both uh, uh, Pfizer and Moderna did, they used the mRNA that codes for uh, for this spike protein and they put it in a vaccine right. so then when we receive this vaccine our body produces that um, uh, that spike protein our immune system sees that protein as a foreign protein and then creates an immune response against that um, uh, that viral protein let's call it that way so these are the mrna vaccines and then the, the two other vaccines that are currently licensed for COVID, there is the um, uh, AstraZeneca vaccine and the Johnson & Johnson. Um, uh, they are vector-based uh, vaccines. So they, they use um, another virus that, um, um, that is not COVID. That, uh, and this other virus does not replicate in, the, in, our, in our body. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, inside of this virus, again, um, they they included uh, the spike protein of COVID. So when we receive these vaccines, again, our immune response will respond uh, against um, uh, the spike protein and create antibodies uh, against this uh, this protein. And again, these uh, viral uh, so these vector uh, vaccines, uh, the only vaccine that has been used before as a vector vaccine was the, for Ebola. You know, also so very ah. recent. So this again is a very recent technology. Wow, that has been developed and now, yeah. So it, it is so interesting that for the the COVID vaccines, the 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 front runners, the <laughs> the, the the products that have been more successful were the ones using these really. Uh, Mm. new new mm. technologies mm. wow um, we're coming back after the headlines what questions do you have having heard that it was quite a good mapping of how vaccines work for the diseases that we have eradicated those that persist today and those that we're likely to have into the future because we're told that it's a pandemic future we must expect it and we need to do what we can um, to always adhere so that we can just imprison these uh, viruses or these uh, these illnesses just as 
as they begin just to contain them, arrest them before they spread to the entire globe. Um, so this is an area that's going to be a source uh, of interest uh, and a part of life for years to come. So your questions this afternoon, what would you like to know about what happens in the development of uh, vaccines? It's fascinating taking you into the labs. 011-883-0702. Masterclass. I will bring you a masterclass on vaccines and how they work um, as we are all fascinated at the moment because it is the difference between prolonging life and, of course, the risk of contracting what may be a fatal uh, infection from COVID-19. And this afternoon, we've got Associate Professor Marta Nunes, a senior program uh, manager at Wits University, part of their VIDA uh, 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 unit, uh, that's vaccines and infectious diseases. She gave us an outline of exactly the work that they do. We haven't even started talking about trials. Just before the headlines, she gave us a nice outline of um, the various vaccines. And this was really um, uh, an opportunity for us to have a, a look at the map and we'll be drilling down a little bit further. So, Prof, there are a couple of calls coming in. Let's take them. Vanessa, you have a few curiosities. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Zania. Please, would you ask Professor Nunes why they didn't procure the Sputnik vaccine from Russia? Okay. Well, uh, but do you have a specific question about the vaccine itself? Well, just I hear it has had very successful mm-hmm. um, immunology immunology rates. Is that correct? All right. So protective and levels of the vaccine. Yes. Yes. Mm. Thank you for that, Vanessa. The president has been quizzed on this a couple of times in parliament, but can you tell us a little bit more about how Sputnik V, uh, how it works? Um, sure. So, yeah, I prefer to talk about that than why the South procurement. Africa did not yeah. procure. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so, so it has been shown, yeah, in the as we now uh, results uh, coming out from trials, from studies using these, uh, this vaccine. And it does look like that uh, the Sputnik vaccine does protect against the disease. So just Something that not only the Sputnik, but also the other COVID vaccines that we need to distinguish is when we look for protection against infection and protection against disease. Right. So most of them, of the trials and uh, most of, of the results that uh, are out there at the moment looked at, uh, you know, severe infection. And actually, that's what we want to protect, right? We want to protect people from going into the hospital and being severely ill. So I know that uh, it has been shown that Sputnik also has um, a protection against that, against severe disease like uh, the other uh, the other vaccines in the market. Um, but not only for Sputnik, but also the other vaccines, we are still trying to understand if they also protect against the infection. So how does so it work? Is it, more of a, is it a vector-based or is it an uh, uh, the, the mRNA kind of technology? It's also vector-based. It's also vector-based. Okay, similar to yes, Moderna yes. and AstraZeneca. Yeah, and the... And, um, the uh, so, and the results, when we look, when we design the trial, is much easier to look for hospitalization, for severe disease. And that was what has been, uh, what has been shown. So I think the WHO very recently this week came forward saying that all the vaccines that uh, are currently in use have uh, similar 
protection effects. Mm. How is that determined, by the way, when we, because we had percentages, we were given percentages about the <laughs> level of protection that a vaccine is able to provide? Um, so that it comes from the clinical trials that uh, oh, okay. uh, we spoke, uh, that we mentioned earlier. So in the, so to get to clinical trials, I don't know, can I just very briefly describe the different phases of, uh, mm-hmm. of the trials until we get to the big trials that give this type of, uh, of mm-hmm. information? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, once we have a good, uh, a good candidate product, a product that we think can be, can be used for, for a vaccine. Normally we do small studies and normally these studies even start, you know, in animal, in animal models, just to see if, if they are safe for in animals before going to human, uh, human studies. And normally we do in human studies what is called phase one trials. So these are small studies in a small group of people. And this is really just to assess in volunteers then the safety of the, of the product. And also sometimes to see what is the best dose. You know, all these different vaccines have different um, uh, uh, concentration of, of the product. So we also need to, to understand what is the best concentration to be in the product. Mm-hmm. Um, then we go to phase two that uh, normally has, has, more, has more participants, more uh, volunteers. And uh, here some people will, you know, w- We'll get the vaccine and already we will look, for example, at immune responses. We will see if there is, uh, if the, our body is responding well to, to the vaccine. And then we get to the phase three trials that these are the ones that will give us really more information on the protective effect of, of the vaccine. And in these phase three trials, normally, half of the volunteers will receive half or a certain number of volunteers will receive the vaccine and the the others will receive a control substance that can be just uh, a saline substance. And then we we assess what is how many uh, cases of the disease occur in the group that received the vaccine and how many cases occur in the uh, the group that uh, did not receive the vaccine. And that is where the percentages come from. So then (laughs) we can understand what will be the the protection afforded by the vaccine comparing the one group against the other and comparing the, the, the cases of disease in one group against the other. Got you. Um, here's another <laughs> question from Ramiz calling us from Rotopoids. Hi, Ramiz. Hi, man. I, I just wanted to understand the, um, the vac- vaccines now. As I understand what the, the discussion is, that you take uh, certain proteins from the different viruses and then that you make up the, the vaccine from that so that your body, once you get vaccinated, recognizes the protein and then develops defense antibodies yeah. for that for that protein now tell me what's mm-hmm. the difference between if you contract the virus naturally and you yeah. get cured naturally doesn't your body have the same antibodies or that recognizes it then that protein of it Mm -hmm. Right. So let's talk about that, the role of antibodies. Uh, Is this the same as passive immunity? Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's a great question. What what is the difference? So we call it natural infection. So natural immunity that comes from an infection and then the immunity that comes from uh, from vaccines. And um, so... 
and it's true that normally for, for some diseases, once you have the disease in your life, then you are protected for the rest of your life, right? Wow. You will not uh, get it again. So it's some of, uh, of the diseases. And that is also what happened with, uh, uh, with some of the vaccines that some, some you do need repeated uh, doses to, to build the immunity. And for some, just one or two doses are, uh, are enough. Um, and it's true that uh, what vaccines actually try to do is to mimic the immune response that uh, uh, is afforded by natural infection. So the vaccine tries to mimic that uh, natural, um, natural infection. Um, but what happens is that uh, uh, vaccines, some of the vaccines also have other substances, uh, for example, adjuvants, that uh, it will create a longer lasting uh, response than natural mm. infection. So, and for COVID, because it's such a, a recent, uh, uh, a recent pathogen, right? We do not know for how long natural uh, infection will will last. For how long we will be protected after having the first uh, episode of uh, of COVID? But it does look like that the antibodies wane, so the antibodies decrease mm -hmm. over time, and um, so and that is really a, a line of research that that is going on at the moment. So it's for how long do the antibodies last in our body? And are the antibodies that are made after a natural infection the same quality as the antibodies that are made after uh, vaccination? So, so you, there is re really a lot of research going on on that. You mentioned uh, adjuvants, uh, what gives mm -hmm. the vaccines better protective abilities than natural immunity. Uh, what else? What What do they do? And what are some of the other ingredients or uh, agents, mm. if I can put it that way, I don't know, that go into a vaccine? If we're to say I'm holding a jar of X vaccine, <laughs> what is floating in there? What is in there? What are the, the ingredients in yes. this soup? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so let me, yeah, just uh, let me go one by one. I think it's easier that way. So, of course, the main ingredient is what we call the antigen, is like the previous caller was saying, is the protein that we put there from, from the pathogen. So yeah. normally we call that because it can, it can be other things than a protein. So I don't want to be <laughs> just saying that there are proteins, can be other um, other particles. So we call it an antigen. Um, and that is really the most important is the active ingredient, let's say, of the uh, of the product. Then we also need um, a diluent, right? Most, if you see, it's a liquid. Normally, what is that left liquid? And that is just normally it's water. It's just sterile water that uh, oh. um, that um, uh, the other components are diluted in. So it's just uh, um, to make it easier to be administered. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, because these um, these products are you know uh, stored and they need to be transported so we need preservatives like in our food like in other uh, medicines that we take we uh, we need uh, preservatives and uh, that is also a component of um, uh, uh, of the uh, of the vaccines and then like i mentioned before we can have adjuvants so not all all the vaccines contain adjuvants it's uh, so all, some of uh, of them contain the adjuvant that is normally used is aluminum but mm -hmm. aluminum yeah you know, we 
we ingest aluminium in eating and drinking other other substances. So, and like I said, this adjuvant is really to help our uh, immune response to to give it a booster. To to the the immune response for some of the vaccines needs to have a little help, mm-hmm. and the, the adjuvants help our immune system to have a more robust uh, response. And then other small, uh, um, smaller components that are part of uh, of the vaccines are, for uh, for example, stabilizers that uh, we need for again because it's it's a it's a product that needs to be stored, and these are normally sugars or gelatin that uh, um, that are included in the formulation of uh, of the vaccines. And then let me just think what what else so the antigen the diluent adjuvant and and then just some some sometimes we do have some traces of uh, residual traces of inactive reagents that right. were used for for example for inactivating the viruses but so everything that normally is included in a in a in a vaccine we are exposed to this type of uh, uh, of ingredients, let's call it, mm. when we in our environment, when we eat, when we drink in our in our environment. Yeah, so it's already there, right? So that's reassuring. Um, we're going to take a break, uh, Professor, and then we're going to come back with more questions. Quite a few have come in. Zero one one eight eight three zero seven zero seven zero two masterclass. And we are in the final section of our masterclass. What questions do you have? And we go to the lines for my guest. And that is Associate Professor Marta Nunes, who is a Senior Program Manager at WITS in the VIDA section that is all about vaccines and infectious diseases. And we've been spending this hour understanding how vaccines work. Stanley, thank you for your patience. You've got a question about hesitancy. Hi. Hi, Azania, yes, to you and the professor. I have a question. I don't know if it's just me, but there's a lot of controversy around the vaccines around my friends and my group of friends. Mm. There's a lot of them that are not interested at all in the vaccine and, and uh, the, the danger there is uh, it's affecting their families and, and friends of ours and people are starting to, you know, people are, you don't have to do much to, to cause confusion in a person's mind. Yeah. And the arguments usually come from three points. One, scientific. They come up with all kinds of scientific evidence why the vaccine is bad. Oh, Stanley, the there's a horrible religion. noise coming from where you are. Can you move away? Yes, I will. Okay, thank um, you. That's better. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay, so the second one is a, a religious one, um, which I don't pay much attention to. But the third one also then is very much to do with conspiracy theories. Now, my question is, if we're sitting there and we want to educate from our side people on the truth of the matter, what's the easiest way to do that? Is there a website? Is there something a person can use? Because it's really difficult to have these conversations if you don't have proper facts on mm. your side. And I feel like a lot of people are getting the wrong information. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So thank you for, the, for allowing the question. No, thank you for that question. As someone who uh, works from in the research side of things, um, what do you say to members of the public that may be hesitant? Mm. Are there tools, in fact, that we could look to? Yeah. Now, this is, yeah, it's a a problem that uh, so it's not only with COVID. So I, I think now with COVID, yeah, it, it is getting bigger. The controversy is getting bigger, but the vaccine hesitancy is really a problem that we need to deal with before COVID against the other other vaccines. And uh, uh, like the listener was saying, kind of where do we go for the correct information, right? Because you can 
type something on the internet and get totally different views mm-hmm. on the same search that uh, that you do. So I really advise the, uh, to look, for example, for credible sources, so like WHO, the uh, the Ministry of Health. For example, the, in the United States, the, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, has a lot of information on on the on different vaccines and uh, on vaccine hesitancy. And then there are really um, groups uh, uh, that uh, work on vaccine hesitancy. And then so could uh, we could look at um, uh, at their website. So there is a very good group from the London School of public health that uh, uh, has done a lot of work on on vaccine hesitancy so uh, but just another note on that i know that uh, for example some of the um, um internet uh, engine uh, search engines like uh, mozilla and and facebook even now they really try to fight these uh, this information the the fake news uh, so they really try when you type uh, vaccine, for example, side effects or something. They the the first um, uh, hits that will come into your search will be from credible uh, sources. Right. So I I do urge people to to always try to look for for information that comes from sources that have been mm-hmm. fundamental that have, have been uh, 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 double checked. Yes, because it's so easy now to get. Uh, yeah, uh, misinformed. I want to squeeze this in. We've got uh, just 30 seconds. Fatima, um, what is your question? Hi, Azania. Hi, Prof. I just want to know, after hearing the ingredient listing, it obviously raises the religious debate. How do we know that the vaccines are halal? I'll listen over the radio. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. go for it, Prof. So... Yeah, so so I think that depends on uh, on the vaccines, but so there are really vaccines currently that do not use any uh, any animal uh, products. So uh, if you look at the, so all the vaccines, like all uh, all medical all medicines, will have an information that uh, you can look at. Will have okay. you know the, uh, the the prescription that you can uh, you can look at. And I think if people are really really concerned about, for example, allow. Or other r- religion um, effects that uh, they can they can even contact the pharmaceutical companies. I think oh. they will be very open to um, to disclose uh, how the vaccines were uh, were produced. All right, but, uh, a lot of the vaccines not now do not contain animal products. Right, but we can also do that research and verify with the developers. Um, Thank you very much for your time this afternoon. We weren't able to get to many of the questions, but uh, I think we have done some, we've we've covered some ground in creating awareness because there were so many questions about what's in these things. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me and have a good afternoon. Bye.